Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians 3 verse 20 and 21 will be the two verses we're reading this evening. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power, notice that phrase, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. I want to preach on that phrase found in verse 21. Unto him be glory. As Christians, our highest concern, our greatest motivation ought to be the glory of God. And truly reaching a point in our Christian life where it consumes us, where we actually live with this thought, I want to make sure that everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that occupies my day brings glory unto God. Now, that was his purpose in creating us and putting us on this planet for his pleasure and for his glory. We are and we're created. I think too often we're consumed with life, we're consumed with the cares of the life, this life, and uh, the last thing that crosses our mind is bringing him glory. Now, usually we're unconcerned with our own motives. As long as we do what we're supposed to do and we can disguise our motives, we're pretty happy that the job gets done. But God's concerned with motives. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jeremiah had very few converts, very few visible results, and here we see a large book written about his life, and then the greatest revivalist of all time, a man that literally shook a city, shook a nation, and saw those people turn their heart to God, Jonah. We see four short chapters. Now, that's not the way we write in this day and age. There would be all kind of biographies on the market called Jonah, the incredible life of Jonah, Nineveh, what happened and how it happened. Can you imagine the prayer letters? Can you imagine the movies that would have come out, the conferences that Jonah would have preached? He would have been the main speaker at conferences all across the United States of America if that revival would have taken place in the past 20 years. Because we have a hard time seeing, discerning men's motives, but we do know our motives for the most part. We don't want anyone judging our motives because usually they're not as pure as the driven snow. But our motive is supposed to be the glory of God. I want you to see a few things about his glory tonight. God's concern is for his glory to be revealed. And we see that in scripture. So let's go back to uh, Romans chapter 11. We're going to do a quick Bible study tonight. So be ready to look in a lot of different passages. Romans 11 verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Now, I've done a lot of studies and a lot of word studies in Scripture. You ought to study the word glory in Scripture because it's used hundreds of times. He wants the earth to be filled with his glory. He wants man to see and to understand his glory. Now, if you go all the way back to creation, God 
created this world to reveal his glory. Psalms 19 mentions that. The heavens declare the glory of God. Have you ever been to the ocean or to the mountains or at night just laid out in your backyard, looked up at the stars and stood in awe at the glory of God, the splendor of creation? I've read books about just the marvel of man from his brain to his eyes, what science cannot recreate and God spoke into existence, his creation ought to reveal his glory in our hearts and minds. But that's something we regularly overlook. And let's see this once again the few times in the scripture where God reveals to man the completeness of his glory. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24, verse 16. God revealed his glory there on Mount Sinai with the giving of the law. Let's see what happens and the circumstances involved in this. Exodus 24, verse 16. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. On the top of the mountain, the eyes of the children of Israel. Can you imagine this sight, this scene, as it looked like there was a fire consuming this mountain for hours, for days, as God reveals his glory. Go back with me to chapter 19, verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp. Now, when you're experiencing this in your house, this is the time that you close the curtains and you crawl underneath the covers and you hide and your children knock on your door and say the thunder and the lightning and the storm, and that didn't even include the trumpets, but they were out there in tents. In the wilderness. And this is what they're seeing as God's glory is revealed in a small way to the children of Israel. Look what it says. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp uh, to meet with God. They stood at uh, nether part of the mountain. Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. Now, I know we refer to ourselves in this generation as a visual society, but this isn't something new. We like what we can see. And God's invisible. And God said, I'm, I'm going to reveal myself to my people so they understand I am real, I am powerful, I am personal, and I want to be part of their lives. And I am a God to be feared. There is a problem because this generation has created a new concept of God and tried to preach and teach that God is not a God to be feared. The Bible does teach that, whether that's Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. That's a Bible teaching found uh, throughout all 66 books. Now go with this text, this chapter 40. The next time God is revealed is in the tabernacle. There on that mount, he 
not only gave Moses the law, but he also gave Moses instructions on the building of the tabernacle, letting them know that he wanted to dwell with his people. He would do that in the tabernacle. Verse 34, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, what is God doing? He is revealing to man in a very visual way, a very obvious way, that he is God, he is powerful, and his presence is real. Now, go with me back uh, to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, let's see the next revelation which is the temple, now a more permanent dwelling place. The children of Israel no longer wandering around in the wilderness. They've settled in the promised land. Solomon has built the temple. Chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass, as the trumpeters and the singers were as one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, when they lifted up their voices with the trumpet and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praise the Lord, saying... For he is good, his mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Now, here's what I want you to see tonight. I want you to see that God is interested in revealing his glory. The problem is... Man feels very distant from God. How many times have we, as Christians, with the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, felt distant from God? God wants to reveal His glory. And He did it in the past, through creation, through the giving of the law, through the tabernacle, His presence there in the temple. And then the most recent revelation was through Jesus Christ in the flesh, incarnate. Right? How many remember that? We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, God speaks of his desire to fill the earth with his glory. 1 Chronicles 16, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 24. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all the nations. Verse 27. Glory and honor are his are in his presence, strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering, come before him, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Now, his desire is for man to see his glory. We know he no longer inhabits the tabernacle. That time has passed. He no longer inhabits the temple. Now he inhabits his children. And his habitation is supposed to be a place where his glory is revealed. Now let me ask you this. This is a very simple point that I want you to understand in this simple Bible study tonight. God has always said, my place of habitation is where my glory is revealed. So obviously now if we are the dwelling place of God, if we're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, if we're the dwelling place of the Son of God, we are supposed to be a revelation of His glory. Now let's bring this down to a practical level. 
Let's talk about our personal lives on a daily basis. Is it a revelation of his glory? Now, I know on Sunday, you know, we spiff up a little bit and make sure we look a little nicer than normal and put on our best clothes and our finest suits and we come to church in our or on our best behavior, at least supposed to be on our best behavior within the church walls. But I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm talking about on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We are supposed to be at all times a revelation of his glory. Here's my question. Is his glory revealed through you 24-7? For your neighborhood, for your neighbors, are you a revelation of his glory? Now, here's what we think. We think the Holy Spirit is a revelation of his glory. We think that this building is a revelation of his glory. We think his word is a revelation of his glory. And God says this, my habitation is a revelation. That was the tabernacle. That was the temple. Now it's your heart. You are a reflection of his glory what is reflected to this world through you about God? When you are betrayed, when you are spoken evil of, when you are criticized, you are being given the opportunity to reflect God's glory through a Holy Spirit reaction. And how often do we take those opportunities to have God revealed through us and instead we reveal something that the world already sees in those without God? You know, we, we speak of missionaries and think, well, it's their job to take the gospel and I'm going to support them and send them to Africa so that they can reveal God's glory to the heathen around the world. Let's get someone in New Guinea. Let's send someone to the Ukraine. Let's make sure uh, that Brother Mink stays in Japan. And let's help these missionaries get the gospel out around the world so the world sees his glory. God says, my glory is revealed through you. Now, isn't it strange that this world doesn't want what we have? If we were a true reflection of what God is and who God is, don't you think more people would be desirous of what we have if we were a true reflection? Look what it says in Isaiah 43, verse 7. Isaiah 43, 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have what? I have created him for my glory. Now, the only problem was, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world. And uh, that sin passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Uh, now, because man has a sin nature, he's born distant from God and is, does not reflect the glory of God until he's been saved and the Holy Spirit begins to work in his life, the work that we call sanctification. Now, sanctification has three stages. The first part is the inherited righteousness that comes with salvation. My standing before God is righteous. As soon as I got saved, my soul was sanctified. The only problem was my body didn't get the news. 
That's why Paul wrote Romans 6, 7, and 8. He said, boy, I'm disgusted with this flesh. I want to do everything possible not to become a servant of sin or stay a servant of sin. And those good things that I should do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. And, oh, wretched man, what did he say? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver us from the body of this death? From the body that we find so easily tempted by sin. Now, the next step in that process is what we'd call godliness, a daily choice to follow God and live a holy life. And that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. That's a work that we would call being conformed to the image of God's dear Son. Now, the moment we wait for is a complete sanctification that'll take place in heaven. We actually call that glorification. That's a great moment we know we'll leave this earth, we'll arrive in heaven, glorified body, a new man. We won't fall into any more temptation. We won't have to deal with the weakness of this flesh, right? We know everyone there will be perfect, but that is the final step. Now look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Because after reading our text, Paul starts in chapter 1 from the very beginning. Explaining to the church what is sanctification and glorification. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined now. This word is found only a couple times in Scripture, and it's caused great confusion. Hardly a month goes by in the ministry that someone doesn't come to me with this question. Pastor, are there people predestined to heaven and predestined to hell? No, the Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. I dare you to try to find that in the Scripture. Predestination always speaks of being conformed to the image of God's dear Son. You're not predestined to be saved or to be lost to go to heaven or go to hell. If you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've been born again, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. Regrettably, most people in this life resist the process. They slow it down. God would like to put it in fifth gear and man likes to keep it in first gear. You know, I've got to be sanctified at some point, but just don't make it right now. I enjoy the flesh. I enjoy the lust of the eyes and I enjoy the pride of life and I enjoy the things of this world. So please don't take that from me. Well, God said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all truth, clean you up, remodel the interior. That's what you are predestined to Matter of fact, we can't even finish reading this until we go back to Romans 8. Look what it says in Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. Oh, there it is, Pastor. We're predestined to what? Not to be saved, not to go to heaven or go to hell, but to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called, whom he called, then he justified, whom he justified, then he also what? Glorify the final step. But we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. Now, how many of you say 
I'm about 95% of the way through that process. When you look at me, the reflection is very clear. My kids see God. My wife sees God. My friends see God. My enemies see God. My co-workers see God. My neighbors see God. When this world looks at me, they can't help but see Jesus in me. Maybe our soul got sanctified, just not our tongue. Just not our thoughts. Just not our spirit. How sanctified do you feel about 6 o'clock in the morning? Now, here's what God is doing. Here's why we read the Bible. Here's why we go to church. Here's how, why we establish a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his purpose is to be revealed through us, to reveal his glory through us. And that only happens as we are being conformed into the image of his dear son. How many of you understand what I'm saying tonight? So God says, my purpose is not just to save you. My purpose is not just for you to get saved and baptized and step into church, but the purpose of this book and the purpose of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the church and the purpose of the preaching and the purpose of everything that I've put into place is to help you reveal my glory because I want my glory spread throughout the whole earth. And imagine this. If we would just have those Christians that are on the earth live a sanctified life, his glory would be revealed, uh, but too few. We reveal more of the flesh, the old man, the world, than we do God. And God says, I birthed you, not just physically, but I birthed you spiritually so you would reveal my glory. And I want this world to see my glory. Now, this does not eliminate the need to witness and the need to knock on doors because regrettably we're not revealing enough of his glory how many of you can honestly say that at your place of work, you revealed so much of God's glory that there are people that are just saying, wow, you got to tell me what you have because that's exactly what I want. I want that kind of marriage. I want that kind of joy. I want that kind of peace. I want that kind of, uh, of a difference in my life. I want those kind of children. I, I want that kind of a, a positive spirit. That's exactly what I want. Let's see the hands. Because we know over time we may have been successful on Monday reflecting his glory or Tuesday. But then there's a crisis. Then there's a problem. Then there's a rude client. Then there's something that triggers the old man, the flesh. And suddenly there's a revelation of something that should not be revealed. And they say, see, I told you so. Look what it says in verse 8. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot reflect his glory. But you're not in the flesh. We're not. I wish you would have told me that at 10 o'clock this morning. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. How many of you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you? What is the Holy Spirit trying to do? Reflect God's glory. How does he do that? By guiding you into righteousness. Can you reflect God's glory as you're puffing smoke into someone's face? Can you reflect God's glory as your eyes are popping out of your head and you have a, a, a vein in your neck sticking out and you're turning three shades of red and spewing? Whether or not you say anything, people can see that's not the glory of God being revealed in your face. 
Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead. Now, here's, here's why the world looks at us so funny. Man is made of a body, soul, and spirit. Before a man is saved, his flesh is alive. His spirit is dead. And after salvation, his spirit is made alive. His flesh is supposed to be dead. So we're supposed to be walking dead men. That's what we're supposed to be. Look what it says in verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you believe that is humanly impossible for someone that's been in the grave for three days to come out of the grave? God says that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Look what it says. That same Christ that he raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. So what does God want to do through his Holy Spirit? Quicken you, change your mortal body. And here's what we do. We believe a lie of Satan that says, you know what? I'm attached to this flesh. I'm attached to an old nature. So I have a cap. I, I can only reflect so much of his glory. Well, the problem is, possibly that we're reflecting so little glory, no one wants it. Our children should want what we have. Our neighbors should want what we have. Our friends, our family, our co-workers, everyone that we come into contact with should want what we have if we are reflecting his glory. The question is, is this part of our makeup, our philosophy, our mentality? I want every day to be a reflection of his glory. That's, God has me on this planet to be a mirror to reflect his glory. How do I do that? By a Holy Spirit-filled life. Let's go back to Ephesians 1. We didn't finish reading Ephesians 1. We got sidetracked on predestination. Go back to verse 12. So we're predestined to be conformed to his image. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his what? We are supposed to be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom he also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, what happened? You were sealed. Now, how can we reflect the glory of God? We're sealed with the spirit of promise. We have a Holy Spirit indwelling us. How many of you know without the help of the Holy Spirit, there's no way you can reflect God's glory? How many know that? Not a chance. But the Holy Spirit is daily working. How many of you feel and sense and know that you have a Holy Spirit of God working in your life? How many of you can measure the changes that have taken place? You've seen it. You've noticed it. It's now measurable. It's tangible. You can say, thankfully, he has, he has changed my spirit. He's changed my thoughts. He's changed my direction. He's changed my speech. He's changed my desires. I'm thankful for all those changes that have taken place. But ultimately, here's what God says. There's a world out there that can't see me. And their concept of God is wrong because their concept has been distorted by religion. Their concept has been distorted 
by tradition, by fables, by a parent that has no clue what the Word of God says about Jehovah God. So, the only way you can straighten out their concept, let me ask you this. How much of this world or how many people in your own family, in your own workplace, have you convinced to read that book and truly understand who God is? Give me the list of the multitudes of people that you've convinced to do that. Most we haven't even convinced to read the gospel tract. Most limit what we're allowed to say to them. So ultimately, how are they going to see God revealed? In you, in me, in our daily life. The way we come to work, the way we react to problems, tragedy, sorrow, heartache, news, good news, bad news, political news, financial news. We're close to flipping. Let's just flip over to Philippians real quick. Chapter 1, verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and the praise of God. Who fills us with the fruits of righteousness? It's called the fruits of what? The Spirit, love, joy, peace. Do you remember the list? Long-suffering is not a natural trait that you can produce. Patience and meekness, those are not things that the flesh produces. Those are products of the Holy Spirit working our lives in order for this world to see the glory of God in us. Now, how do we glorify God? By allowing the Spirit to conform us to His image. Go with me to John chapter 15. John 15 verse 8. John 15 8. Herein is my Father glorified. How is He glorified? That ye bear much fruit. Now, how does reaching the lost and leading others to Christ glorify God? Because God says, I want every man everywhere to see my glory have a knowledge of God, receive Christ as their Savior, and then have them be conformed to my image. So by bringing a lost man to the feet of Christ, there's an opportunity now for him to be conformed to the image of God and reveal God's glory. So God says, listen, we're confused. We're confused in so many. This isn't just about getting someone to heaven. This is about God's glory being revealed in another life. Let me just say this, God doesn't like to share his glory. And we are consumed with, we've adapted to a society that likes to glorify man because of a gift. Who does society honor? LeBron, King James, because he has a special gift of jumping high and shooting. Listen, he can take a round ball and put it and a round hoop. And when the net swishes, mankind all across this planet is impressed. And we don't say, isn't it amazing that God gave that man the ability to jump that high? No, we say, wow, he has skills. Did you know this week there are literally... Thousands of people that have spent thousands of dollars to bring in hundreds of athletes at a place they call a combine where they take these athletes uh, that are 
that just played college football and they want to be impressed because there's a National Football League that's about ready to have its draft and they want to know how high you can jump and how fast you can run and how much weight you can lift and everybody stands back and says, ooh, oh, oh, oh wow, unbelievable. He would be my first pick. And man is impressed with gifts and talents and beauty. And we glorify the man and rarely the creator. And God says, I'm not going to share my glory. And be careful because we've even brought this philosophy mentality into the church where instead of saying that God has given that person an incredible gift, we say, wow, that person is incredibly gifted. We're impressed with the singer. We're impressed with the preacher. We're impressed with the great. We're impressed with the intelligence. We're impressed with the skill. 1 Peter 4 warns us of that. Go back to 1 Peter 4. What are our gifts for? They're not to bring glory to ourselves. God says you are supposed to reflect my glory to a world that can't see me. How do we do that? Living a transformed life, reaching the lost. Verse 10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards. We should be good stewards of those gifts that God has given us. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. Uh Uh-oh, what's it saying? Why? How? That God in all things may be what? Glorified. You know what God is about? Being glorified. And he says today, David, you have one purpose. Your gifts have one purpose. Not so people will say, what an amazing young man. What an amazing young talent. He's a powerful song leader. Boy, he's great in that group. No. God says they're supposed to look at you and say, what an amazing God in this world is supposed to see an invisible God made visible by a Christian that is being conformed to his image. You know what you see, Brother Newcomb, when you see Chris? You see Dad. You know what you see when you see Ashley? You see Mom. You know what you see when you see Lauren? We know. That's why at times we're proud. And we say, that's my daughter. She sings. Makes a honor roll. Helps someone in the church. Someone brags on that child and says, you have an amazing child. Yes. (laughs) I do. And Pastor Bob calls. (laughs) And you hand the phone to your husband and say, your child has done something again. I'm sick of dealing with your DNA. We know that child is a reflection of us. And God says, you are supposed to be a proper reflection of me and of my glory. Now, in this society, let me ask you this. How in the world will a a society 
that does not read this book, that does not go to church, that does not know God, how will they ever see God or seek God if God is not reflected and His glory is not reflected through us because we are conformed to His image? Now, let me ask you this. Can God be reflected, or what kind of reflection is there, if we're not conformed to His image? I remember years ago, I went with an associate, and we had a, a problem with the business, and they, it was a mechanic in Mexico, and they cheated us. Long story short, I was 100% in the flesh. And I went down with my assistant all the way down there. My assistant was saying, please, Pastor, please don't say anything. Let me talk. Don't say anything. I said, I'm going to say, he said, it's not going to be good. I said, no, it's not going to be good. He said, do you want me to step in? I said, uh, if I start to lose my testimony, go ahead and step in. He said, then let me step in now. <laughs> he said, I can tell by the look in your eyes. You're going for the juggler. Now, I made a huge mistake. I said, I want you to say anything. You let me handle this. 25 minutes later, I walked out of there thinking, boy, I should have just listened to my assistant. Because there's no way I can ever hand out a track or be any kind of effective witness to anybody in that business. You know what? God was giving me an incredible opportunity to be a reflection of his glory. And it's amazing that Satan can use a motor to reflect his glory, Satan's glory. Now, let me ask you this. When we live, go to 1 Corinthians 10 and we'll be done. With our lives and every day, here must, this must be our motto. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. The motto of every Christian. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, what is not included in that statement? Whatsoever ye do. This means your thoughts, your mind would be fenced. Your tongue would be bridled. Your motives would be pure. Whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You know what will keep you from being offended? You live saying, I want to reflect his glory can't be reflected in a bad attitude, an offended spirit, an angry heart cannot reflect his glory. Looking at the wrong things, saying the wrong thing, reacting the wrong way doesn't reflect his glory. One principle that could change our life if we simply said every day I wake up with the same thought today, God, I want to reflect your glory. I want my kids to see your glory through their father. I want the kids to see their glory through their mother. I want to see, I, I want the kids in the school to see the glory of God through their teachers, through their pastor. You know why the glory of God was reflected through his son? He could suffer wrongfully. He could handle criticism. He could be attacked and open on his mouth. Falsely accused and still smile. Hated yet loving. 
He was reflecting God's glory through everything that he did in life. And here's what we think. When we're leading that singing, we're reflecting God's glory. No, 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 no. Well, if I'm preaching, if I'm playing the piano, if I'm singing a song, if I'm doing something in front of people, then I can be a reflection of God's glory. No, God's glory is about your behavior on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's especially about your behavior when you're under pressure, you're under stress, you're under duress, you've been attacked, you've been criticized, you've been mistreated, you've been misunderstood. Authority did something you didn't like. You're suffering through a problem that's dealing uh, with your health. You're dealing with pain. You're dealing with heartache, setback. That's an opportunity to reveal his glory. Because the world, listen, the world doesn't have a good concept of God, but here's what the world does know. The world does know Christian means Christ-like. And the world does know what a Christian is supposed to act like. Why is it that the world knows you are supposed to be a true reflection of God? And they expect that out of you. And here's what the Christian says. They just expect perfection. You know why? You're supposed to be reflecting God. God is perfect. Oh, you're not supposed to be mad. And they're right. You shouldn't blow your top. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't talk like that. But you did. But you know what? They're right. They are absolutely right. And your kids know how the glory of God is supposed to be reflected. And your mate knows. Everyone knows. Now, this shouldn't be something crushing, overwhelming, too big of a burden to bear. To the contrary, we should find it a delight a pleasure, a privilege to say, I get to reflect God's glory to a world that doesn't know anything about God. God doesn't need the tabernacle, the temple, because he lives inside of me, and his habitation is supposed to be a revelation of his glory. The only God this world is going to see is you. God reflected through you, you are officially his mirror. You know why this world has a misconception of God? They've seen Christians angry, frustrated, depressed, critical, hateful, bitter, hurtful. How can the lost world see Christ when you go and criticize another Christian? You criticize the church, you criticize the leader, you criticize your wife, you criticize a school teacher, you criticize, you're unhappy, you're sad about what's happening, you're depressed about the events around the world, you're full of fear, you're distraught, you're constantly complaining about your health. This world says whatever you have is a disease, and God gave you that disease, and I don't want it. God says, I put you on this earth and I saved you and I gave you my Holy Spirit so that you could be a revelation of my glory. 